0: Welcome to Ideas on Trial. I'm your host, Leopold Ajami, and I have with me my co-host, Ricardo Pinto. And today we have a very, very special guest, and it's someone I met, and I got hooked the moment I started talking to him. We were actually in a conference. He was a key speaker, and I was a moderator, and I was fascinated with his ideas. His name is Jamil Asfur, and in today's episode, he will help us Explore different topics, complex topics, but maybe you want to talk about technology and its consequences, whether that is AI or the effect of technology on our kids or our future, our skills. So we will see how the conversation will go. is an engineer by training, worked as an executive for top companies such as Apple, IBM, HPE, and Ernst & Young, and he's been in the investment arena for the past 20 years. Jameel is very passionate about making the world a better place. Welcome to Ideas on Trial, Jameel. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Same here. Now, to be fair and accurate, when I asked you how you'd like me to introduce you, you wrote back to me and you said, I'm going to read the words. You started in the beginning by saying, I'm a son, a brother, a husband, and a father before you even talked about your work. So we, before we delve into technology, you know, I'm interested, like why? Why starting this way?
1: I think we hide behind our titles and we forget who we are as humans. I wanted to go back to basics to say, hi, I'm just a simple guy, a simple human, who has duties, who's a family person, just like everyone else. I'm passionate about this world, I'm passionate about working with people. And we have to just go back to basics, regardless of what title I carry for the next year or two or five or 10. Yeah,
0: it's interesting because when I talk to people who are in the technology world and in the investment world, they want to focus first on that, that I am a futurist. I'm into, you know, the metaverse. But you were very precise that, I'm a son, a brother, a husband, and a father. And I love that. And I I think that brings out how much you are interested in, correct me if I'm wrong, in families, in humans, and in simple things in life that sometimes we take for granted.
1: So I think we go back, yes, I think we go back in, in time. In school, I didn't care much for history. As I grew up, I learned that honestly, history is part that is very important of where you are today and where you will be tomorrow. It actually helps you build your personality. It helps you shape the way who you are and how you will deal with people, depending on the circumstances and the environments that you are in, depending where you are in the family, depending, you know, type of family that you have. So, I think it's very important, and as we move to the professional world, whether we are executives we are with we are with we are whether we are technologists or engineers. It goes back to what do you contribute to the society and to life? You deal with people, your employees matter, your friends matter, people are just humans, you have to just deal with the other person and remember they are a son or a daughter or et etc, and that is something that I think we sometimes forgot how to be human. You know, like there are rules and regulations, how we can engage and the hierarchy and how we can talk to each other and the way that we need to really respond to emails and look at each other and carry a conversation. And sometimes we do it right now. So naturally a person that has 10, 20 plus years of experience, it becomes a second nature. It is sad that you lose your nature of being goofy and funny and sad and happy and, and how you react. And really, people deal with people. They love people. They hate people. They let go of people. <laughs> and they hire people. <laughs> yeah, it's,
0: it's so true. I don't know, Ricardo, if you want to say something here, but to me, the, it seems to me that the more we go up in the hierarchy of our career per se, the more we feel that, no, I have to be serious and I have to work under these certain rules and ex-. there are some expectations.
2: I right, prepare the- my portfolio.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: That's yeah. why I always tell you that you, Leopold, are the only person I like working with. <laughs> <laughs> and I lost all my corporation for vulnerabilities because I enjoy what I do, but I want to enjoy it while. I'm still human while I can still laugh about it. That's so true.
0: And I want to jump to one of the things that is so powerful. You said, Jamil, in your uh, TEDx, uh, which you gave two years ago. And there's this one line that stuck in my head. So basically you were talking about AI and the future of AI. And you said that we are teaching machines to become more human while we forgot that we need to become less of a machine.
1: That's so true. That's so true. And let me elaborate further, if you don't mind, that this is really, I would say, a, a philosophical debate. It depends, you know, how you look at it. So I do understand a big CEO or a managing director, etc. they have to deal with numbers and IPOs and investments and etc. But have you thought of this person, that you are about to lay off? What circumstances they deal? Healthy, sick child, somebody that's dependent on them, the house that they have. How about the person that you want to hire? Are they good for your environment? Are they good for the teamwork? Are they individualists? Are they here to build? The pyramid? Or are they here to build for whole? What's sad today is You walk around and the first thing that you say, naturally, good morning. Hey, how are you doing? Well, I'm not doing well today. And let me tell you why. I bet 90% of the population does not have five minutes to hear this and is not interested and did not expect this answer. Because the natural answer could be, oh, I'm doing great. How about you? Have a nice day. Period. Yeah. That is not human. You can, have, can be stuck in traffic, you can have a you know bad day. And today, we're talking, about hu- we're talking about machines and AI and how to make it close to becoming humans while we're looking really at a very specific narrow AI, and then we can talk about general AI and can just perform more tasks, but it's what if this, then that? It is a very specific rule base in a programming language, whatever you use. The machine will not think, what if this person is having a bad day? How would you know? It's important to have equality in love. Or sorry, fairness in love. But what's more important than fairness is equality. So sometimes maybe you need to give a bit more push for the unfortunate people with unfortunate circumstances. That is called equality. I saw this diagram once where it has, it gives actually each kid the same box for them to look over a wall. If they all have the same box, some of them will be able to look over and see what's on the other side, and some of them will not, depending on their heights. I was equal. That is what AI does, gives you equality. What a human does, it gives you fairness. I will look at the height of the people and I will give them maybe a bit of a higher box. But what a human would do above all is really mercy and becoming merciful and having empathy. I will look at the circumstances and why do people We need to look at the other side and evaluate the situation and give them the positions that are available. I've been blabbing for a while, so let me just go back to basics. That's why I say we have to be human again. We can put the rules for AI and the machines to evaluate based on height, to evaluate based on fairness, but it cannot understand the circumstances that you're in and be empathetic again. Humans, on the other hand, as you are moving up in the value chain, you have less room to maneuver, and I've tried it. You're being watched. You're being, your moves are calculated. You're being careful. And that puts you in a very awkward position, which makes you sometimes less superhuman and less of a reactive. This is dangerous. In the U.S., they did this study in actually in many places of the world, but mainly in the U.S., a person would fall on the ground in New York City and people would step above them. Because, you know why? Not because they're not concerned. They're worried if this person is, has an infectious disease. But above A criminal. exact a criminal. But they're worried above all that this person, they'll help them and they will sue them. Mm. So it makes me less of a human to go up and really grab this person. Not me specifically, but I'm saying the majority yep. of the human beings that we have today. Okay, so you
0: talked about a lot of things and one, one of the things that we like to do on Ideas on trial is to challenge the ideas, whether we believe in them or not. So let me try to challenge one of the points you made for us to understand it better. So the first question I have in mind is, and correct me if I understand. Uh, I understand you better. So you're saying that we need to become more human. But I have a problem in defining what is human, because probably the way it stands in your mind is completely different than the way it stands in my mind or in Ricardo's mind, our listeners' mind. And to give you a concrete example. You were talking about like hiring and being empathetic to people whom we are firing or who are hiring. And you talked about fairness and equality. But someone can say, what about justice? Doesn't that make us... What about being just? What about finding the balance between the bottom line and the person whom we're dealing with? At the end of the day, I'm a business. I have a bottom line. And I have people. So how do you... How do, you, how do you find the balance or the priority, if I can say? And how do you define what makes us human? And how can we agree on that? It's, it's, a, it's a very complex
1: thing, I guess. It is extremely complex. You will never find a perfect formula. But let me explain. I was a different human being before I had my kids. I was more of a successful or that's what people would define or say, Jamil is a successful executive. And looking back, I would say I was less human, more of a machine. Straight to the point, I look at targets, I look at numbers, I execute clearly, flawlessly. I meet my numbers and I move on. Now I look at everything around this number. I still look at the bottom line, challenge it, but look at the value proposition rather than the gain. And really, when I say more of a less of a human, I would say most kids that are 10 and below are not, there. they have not, who had a normal circumstances, they would think alike if you would bring a circumstance to them and you would say, I have A, B, C, and D as options, and here are the circumstances, they would all rule the same way. Or I would say majority of them. As we grow, fear builds up. Logic kicks in, experience, life events. So we become more, inclined to behave based on our circumstances or the environments we came from some are tougher than others but if you look at actually how would you have gone back you know we always try to be young but have you really tried to go back being young
0: that's a good question
1: trying to be they always say you know what you don't grow old because you quit playing. Yeah. You quit playing because you grow old, right? So you actually don't quit playing because you grow old. You grow old because you quit playing. I resonate so with that, by the way,
0: because I also have a daughter and she's still three years old. And I, I, I resonate with that because I feel like I'm becoming more young when I'm playing with her. And I feel more human, that's for sure. I feel more alive since. She came to the world. So that's for sure.
1: You just said the magic words. You feel more human. You feel more alive. As if humans lost being alive or living as they grow old due to circumstances. It's, It's amazing. It brings the child in you. It brings the happiness. It brings the liveliness. And I think this is what we owe the next generation. We owe the people around us to make them feel alive again. Like for instance, there are rules in North America on how you can actually talk to colleagues. You have to be careful because there are a list of actually lawsuits that you can get, you know, in trouble and actually, you know, get in trouble and have a legal, serious legal actions against you. Okay. I respect that because I love it because actually it protects the human integrity. Because there are some good people and there are some bad people. But at the same time, I think the bad ate the good. You sometimes lose the fact that I'm just a happy person. I'm just actually funny, same way I am at work as I am with my family. But maybe I need to be filtered a bit. Have we? thought about that. The stuff about, for example, hiring. As people are actually coming back into the workforce and we are looking at the great resignation, this is a buzzword that has been out lately. Why are people looking at the great resignation? Why are people really resigning without having a job? I read an article the other day, they're called cold quitting. And this is concerning. What are we teaching the new dish generation from ethics perspective? Is it really the wrong of our doing? Is it this is how we, they saw their father, their parents react? Or this is really something because their parents have been mistreated, they just want to actually find serenity in their lives?
0: But why do you think this is happening? <clears throat> so why do you think people, why would anyone quit their job Without finding another, you know, of course, rooting the idea that he might want to become
1: an entrepreneur. Sure. So, so I think people quit people. They don't quit the company. You probably had a bad interaction with a colleague, with a boss, with a manager. You weren't challenged enough. They were rude to you. You have bigger ambitions. The job is no longer exciting to you. You're standing stagnant. You have special circumstances. You want money or you want more, you know, better quality of life, what they call it. They tie it always with money. Although I disagree between money and quality of life. But that being said, this is why I think people quit. But this is happening because people are becoming more aware. People are really realizing that in the past few years, what mattered is interaction with people. People wanted to start becoming human again, passionate again. I bet you, I I was actually talking to a colleague of mine from the Middle East the other day. And and he was like, we were discussing, and I was like, what's your passion? As if I've asked him something very invasive. He stuttered and he said, Jamil, I used to do this and that. I don't know what my passion is today. I know that I have to put food on the table. I know that I have to work. So I was like, are you working in something that you like? He said, I'm working in something that makes me like the lifestyle that I'm living in. So has he become less human, a rich one? That's a question. I'm. I'm not. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying there's no, many of
0: them out there. This is a valid question, and and I've seen. I read a book a couple of months ago. I think it's a fantastic book called Excellent Sheep. Uh, I forgot the name of the writer, but he basically talks about uh, students and the Ivy League students, right? Like all the people in Harvard and and why actually the number one problem is that they are not having a purpose in their lives. So they're having supposedly the best education, but most of them are depressed. There's so many people who are suicidal or have suicidal ideas, and they're passionate about nothing. They don't have, you know, an idea at least of what what they want to become or what would the society allow them to become considering the background.
2: So- I would think- Yeah. I would think that's the distinctive human element that, that it's been lost, thinking about the passion, thinking about the purpose, the, end, the ambition. And I really like what you said earlier, Jimmy, that as you're thinking through right now, you're not only look at the numbers, but you try to reflect about the valuable position around those numbers. And I don't know if you would agree with this, but that's something that machines and specifically AI perhaps will never reach ever to do. So if you try to convey what's the specific human component that that we can add or miss in this technology. Would you say, is that particular thinking about the ends, the purposes, as opposed to merely the instrument and and solving problems?
1: So ideally it's empathy. Ideally it's empathy. Let's start with that. And I think this is something very difficult. So if you look at neurosurgeons and neurology in general, psychology, if you look at these, these are something that are intangible. There is, there are theories, but it's very hard. Each human being reacts differently. So for us to translate it into code and machines is very difficult. I can train an AI, a machine with, for example, the best of interrogators to look at your facial expressions. I can have an algorithm instead of having 128 points, you know, with smiling or sad to look at them. I look at, can train them to look at actually your eye movements, whether actually you're looking upright, you're remembering something from the past, or you're looking actually down left, which is you're probably lying. These are techniques humans have perfected, and I can make a machine look at this. And I can also hook, actually, a lie detector test to machines, to humans, sorry, and machines can read them. But also, humans have learned to beat these machines. So there will always be a flaw and not a perfect example, but we can get to that closer. Today, my basic concerns is, Why do we have really robots or RPAs that are going through thousands of keywords in, for example, resumes without hiring the right resources, without looking at their experience and how they can actually bridge the cross-functional or transferable skills? Who says a person, for example, in their fifties and sixties are no longer relevant to the workforce? versus you know, the twenties and thirties. What makes the 20 person less valuable than the 50? Is it experience? Is it a certain skill? This is a concern when it goes back to basics. Today, everybody's happy about the buzzword and I will go back to your question in a different way as well, but I think I've answered most of it. And please feel free to tell me if, if you need clarification. Today, the buzzword I think that's going around is the metaverse. An amazing new rosy world where I can be someone that's not judged. I can actually appear to have, you know, for example, to be skinnier if I'm like, you know, chubby like me. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> or, <mad. laughs> or or you know, or, or you know, have more muscles or have different, you know, avatar look, or i like to change my skin, my hair, etc. Are you really trying to be someone that you are not, interacting with people that you are not in an environment? Are you really being closer to the workplace? Are you trying to have a better user experience and interaction? Or are you hiding behind really the 2 versus 3D world? Of course, I appreciate the benefits of the metaverse, especially in an era in, during COVID where I can really feel I can go and interact with people and it's exciting. I can appreciate, you know, with people that are less fortunate or people actually with disabilities who want to feel that they're walking again with virtual, you know, virtual and AR and metaverse and the metaverse and feel that they can be running and doing triathlons, etc. cetera. It gives them life. But I worry about security. I worry about your... Concern. I worry about predators. I worry about your data. So if you keep worrying, like me, you become maybe less human again because you go back to being robotic. You just close the doors, disconnect the internet, disconnect everything. Or you have to put too many laws that makes you restricted. And that's what's really ultimately the concern. Restriction. You're restricting yourself from smiling at the job. or. Interacting in a certain way, or being the same way with your friends and your coworkers as if you are at home, because people will judge you. That oh, you have a goofy side. Maybe you're not fit for that executive position. Yeah, you have a serious side. Maybe you're actually not good at interacting with people. We don't know. Jamil, so uh, there's
0: some kind, and I, and I'm glad you're talking about these human elements if i say because i've been reading a couple of books on the metaverse and ai and and you know i'm i'm reading a lot of buzzwords right like i feel that we still don't understand what we're talking about and that's why the best case is to go back to to basics the way you put it and that's what we try to do we try to go back to philosophy because without having a philosophy, an ethical code to live by, how might we judge anything in life? But at the same time, I feel that there's kind of how can I put it like kind of a conundrum, right? Like there's a there's a there's a conflict here. One side, yes, we need to be more empathetic, which is a whole science that we need to learn. But at the same time is empathy, for example, scalable? And I'm trying to put my head in other people's perspective, right? Like to be empathetic takes time and effort and interest. And you cannot give it to everyone in the same way. So it's, which makes us a human, of course. But the question that I'm seeing all the time, is it scalable? How can I scale that? So for example, if I want to project from now till 10 years, let's say, and let's go to a field like, uh, I don't know, the medical field, if I'm a doctor, right? Well, so many people are saying from now till 10 years, we're going to have machine that will do the operations and doctors will be mere consultants, per se, right? Again, these are theories, so. But still, are we acting right now like human doctors? When was the last time you went to a doctor, any kind of doctor, and you felt like, you know, like, He's really interested. He's not treating me like a, like a just a patient or a number. He understands that I don't know the science behind what's going on with me and he's, he's empathetic. What, 1%, 5%? I don't know. It never happened to me.
1: <laughs> so this is rare. This probably happens with the doctor in the village, maybe. No, mm. they're all. This happens, still exists. But if you do work actually in a very high end, hospital and i love them because they do save lives but the downside of that one doctor has a kpi they have to bring certain revenue they have to do so many surgeries they have to actually have three or four waiting rooms with patients and just come and talk to you for five minutes while it takes you an hour actually to get in between registering your insurance seeing the nurse having a blood you know your your vital signs taken and then doctor comes and examines you in five minutes and decides, or fifteen minutes, and then des- they decide what you have. Yeah. And if you aren't actually to go over, they'll say just book another appointment, please, which is sometimes next week or next month or two. So doc- the doctors actually have become less human, not all of them, yeah, sure. because of the KPIs. So in the beginning of the conversation, I said it's people, process, technology. The people are making the process not useful and they're putting certain KPIs that are not working. The technology is just the executor of making our lives easier or harder, depending on the process. So we, we also say it takes a village to raise a child. So we really, it needs to go back to the way we raise people. The way we talk to people. Of course, we can't raise the entire world. It's like eight billion now. But are people afraid of AI? Yes. Are people afraid of losing their jobs? Yes. Will people lose their jobs? Absolutely. The people that are not upskilling their themselves, they will lose their jobs. People that are having mundane jobs, they lose it. By 2025, there will be about 800 million jobs in the world that will be lost. But a billion jobs, that's a delta of 200 plus million jobs, additional jobs that are going to be coming into life by 2025.
0: So you're optimistic come... about the future?
1: I am optimistic always about the future as long as humans exist because humans are always been, you know, this conundrum and fight. There is the good and the evil and the in-between. Mm. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm sorry if it's Is that true? It's true. true. I mean, people, and and I think also AI and technology. So let's say, for example, we reached, you know, this ultimate singularity that, you know, it's a whole philosophical debate. Well, if we do that, and they go into actually reading some, you know, religious books, they may destroy themselves by themselves. So, you know, to prevent themselves from being gods. So is that, for example, reaching an equilibrium, per se? is the machine actually trying to become human while they read all these books. So here's an example. We Maybe, maybe the I machines are about. becoming more, more of a god. That's the future. They are. They, <laughs> that's what if singularity reaches. They are trying to make them that way. Or at least a master. If we don't want to you know, define them as gods, it's going to become master and humans become the slaves. While the initial purpose of the machine was to improve your life to free you from the mundane work. So you can spend more time with your three-year-old child, and I can spend some time with my, you know, kids and my grandmother, my mom and dad, or, et cetera, and same thing with, you know, everyone else. But the challenge is today we don't until we reach that. There will be a continuous of struggle in this world. Some people will really be trying to fix it and others will try to be build empires, and others will try to destroy it. But I think it's all equal out. I do believe in the greater human purpose, and I do ultimately believe that machines are good. Good, and you mean it.
2: Not... I genuinely do this. Yeah, because I would think, I, I mean, I agree with you, I would say they're good, but in throughout this conversation, I been thinking. We talked about the metaverse and how people fake their life there and in social media and how people often forget about what they build the machine for. But my thought always, my conviction is that you have, to, you as a human, you as, especially if the designer and the developer and the user have to take the responsibility. And I would say this is a a symptom that even goes far back from from the existence of AI or anything like that. I think it's a very modern with a capital M symptom that we have become thoughtless. Uh, We have bureaucracy. We have technology, we have thriving economic institutions and political institutions that are there for us to live better, healthier lives than was ever projected. But what happens is that we take those, the values propositions you talk about before, the, our philosophical views for granted. And at one point, we stop asking, why are we doing this for? Why, what is it that we care about? Who am I working for? What am I putting my effort, my mind, my hands at the service of? And that's the danger. And and I and strictly speaking, I wanna be strict because sure. I, someone might judge me. Strictly speaking, so we could say, well, it depends. They are good, generally, if you consider what machines have helped us to achieve in 200, 300 years. But they are neutral and they could only become a danger when and if we forsake that responsibility. So I wonder what you think about that, whether, whether the work of technology, AI, machine, the metaverse, et cetera, also, it cannot abandon that responsibility you have, and yet you cannot forget about.
1: Sure. So I know I'm focusing a lot about, you know, philosophical. Debate on humans, but let me. And, and although I am a hardcore techie, but let me just go back to an article that I read a while back hmm. or an email. So there was this fisherman that uh, that lives in a village that has his wife and his kid. He goes up on his small dinghy boats. He gets three fish. He comes back. He eats one. He sells one. And the third one, he enjoys in the village. He gives it to the villagers. They sing together. They enjoy their time. They sleep and they wake up in the afternoon and they wake up next morning and they do everything again. There comes this person from an Ivy League school. Says, what are you doing? You're still young. You need to work harder. He said, why? He said, so you can buy more bowls. He said, why? So you can hire more people, so you can have more fish, so you can sell it to the market. He said, why? He said, so when you're older, you can actually enjoy your time, sleep until the afternoon, be with your friends in the village, and see your family. He said, but I'm doing this right now. What I'm trying to say is, today, if you look at the majority of the parents, They will all treat their kids and tell them, be good. And they will give them values. Nobody will say, go kill, steal, lie, cheat. They will try to treat them to be content and happy and appreciative. Today, with the technology, the people that are programming this technology, some of them are happy and content and have values, and some of them that are not. The same machine can be used for good or for evil. The scale can remove a cancerous cell and can save a human being, but can also kill it. That's the tool, same thing with technology. Today, I think we need a greater governance entity worldwide, just like World Health Organization, or on a ministry level in each country to say, here are the set rules for each technology to operate on. And anybody outside of these rules will be banned or will be punished, et cetera, et cetera. And this is what I fear. Today with the growth of these, you know, all these young startups and excitement and looking at the balance sheet and wanting to sell all these technologies, there's a lack for profit, to, you know, what you can contribute as a human.
2: Yeah, but I would bet that organization would not have any idea of how to formulate basic standards of... I,
1: I think I agree. We don't know. We are in an unfamiliar territory. We will probably need scientists, engineers, doctors, philosophers, psych psychologists, you know, we need lawyers. We need the governance. We need, you know, law enforcement personnel. We do need to sit down together and agree. But above all, it needs the right people with the right values. Would it have that umbrella? It's questionable. But until then, we can continue to try. This is an interesting thought
0: because I think that's, that's the crux of the whole issue. That's what makes or what drives technology into the good or the bad, but I wonder when we talk about ethics, why somehow we assume that we have the right ethics or that we know what is good? And I wonder why not have, or at least teach engineers of ethics, right? Why not treating ethics with the same respect that we treat science so that we can agree and be able to prove what makes a good human and good good moral code. That's the thought that I keep thinking of. And I'll tell you briefly why. Because from one perspective, and you were talking about, I might be the most moral person, the most, you know, give me all the, the good ethics and I'll be this man and build this great machine but there are people who are using that machine and that machine is learning from the behavior of these people. So we're back to the initial conundrum, right? And I think that's, that's something that I'm, I, I, I don't have an answer to it and that's why we're having this conversation. But I can't see why not or why we've never been taught how to think about ethics scientifically.
1: I think it's a requirement and each person as you said, I, I love actually what you said, Leopold. And honestly, each human being has their own ethics. Even ethics are not in agreement. Ethics is, ethics and logic is a series of events that actually you reach probably one time Albert Einstein said until the age of 18. So it depends, you know, what's okay with you is, is, is may not be okay with me and vice versa. So maybe stealing is not okay. But maybe it's okay to steal to eat a piece of bread, but it's not okay to steal to, you know, buy candy. I'm not saying stealing, I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying stealing is okay, but I'm just sure, sure. Thinking about ethics as, as, a, as a hot topic. I mean, where, where does it stop? You know, people can continue like to argue these things. Yeah. Sorry, you were saying? No, I mean I, I totally agree, and I'm thinking
0: of you know Les Misérables and Jean Valjean. That's the image I have in mind, which is totally uh, fine
2: sometimes. But and uh, no, yeah, just was, wanted to yeah, point out that how do you have a system running by rules? Think about these questions. So and this? Yeah, go ahead, please. No, I, I wasn't going to be pessimistic about it. I, I was going to say it's impossible. <laughs> what it, do you it, think? It's
1: yeah, I think, I think it's, it's very difficult. You know, people with different personalities, as you all said before, we can teach them ethics. We can teach the program. The program can be hacked. The machine can be hacked or can actually learn from different mm. bad behaviors and can become bad again. Right. But I think if we do define rules and Maybe we embed it in assembly language. Just we go back to the basic, you know, assembly language on the chip. Just say, you know, as far as, you know, the Ten Commandments, I think, for example, if we are to bring the religion, and I'm not talking about religion here, all people or all religions would agree, for example, do not kill, do not steal, do not lie. I mean, these are the basics. It depends on what God you believe in or you don't believe in God even people that don't believe in God, they will think of the basics. Yeah, do not steal, do not kill, do not lie. It's not. That's a psychologically different type of conversation.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But Yeah, no, but precisely that, and you mentioned it before, there is a serious question of, even if there is a, a lot of agreement about we shouldn't kill, there is a serious question of whether we understand that, not that particular injunction or rule, but of what ethics mean, because I would say the real challenge that we have is that even though we can perform certain tasks and solve problems with clear cut roles, and we need them, when we think about the ethical dimensions of the challenges we're facing it's not perhaps it's not enough not perhaps I'm, sh- I'm quite sure it's not enough to to formulate it as an injunction because because of a factor of uncertainty first we don't know what a specific situation what a specific conflict we will face and the rule as such, if we take it as the Ten Commandments, as something written in stone, will be useless because mm-hmm. there might be a, a special context that needs further consideration. What if a person that I shouldn't kill is threatening my life? It's a question to consider. And having the rule as an absolute, and machines work by absolutes, couldn't we solve the particular human challenge we're facing? And you had a great example, Leopold. I don't know if you want to bring it up about the car. car? we will talk about it,
0: but I think Jamil has something yeah. to say.
2: Yeah. You no, know, it's okay. I was actually going to jump to that, which is the autonomous
1: driving, but I'll let you speak. No, no, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, please. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I, I agree with what you said. So, for example, autonomous car driving today, it's, it is programmed to be sick. Supposedly, but now when it is actually about to hit, to make an accident, let's assume there are, there's, you know, a male, a female, a kid and a pole. Is it, is it the autonomous driving car, the rules and regulations? Is it supposed to protect me as the driver by being safe? Regardless, so it's okay to hit the male or the female or the child or the cart or the pole. If it hits the pole, it may jeopardize my safety. But then why would it, for example, it's okay to hit the male, then the female, then the child? In that order, well, maybe the male or the female carry care for more than one child. And their, the other children's lives get ruined. It's very, yeah. It's very tricky. I, I, I think we cannot solve it in, in this one and it's many more. But it's honestly, I'll, I'll, I would love to hear from, Leopold his his idea. I mean, I'm, I'm just uh, fascinated.
0: Well, well, this is a fascinating topic, and I'm glad we're talking about it because Ricardo and I were trying to unpack it. And in philosophy, we have something called the trolley problem. Usually, you know, you say if someone is on the, uh, you know, uh, on the train track, and who would you save, your mother or your loved one, and something like that. And we call these like the ethics of emergency. Like they don't, they don't probably ever happen to you, right? So you can't build the whole ethical code based on a hypothesis like this. But now with AI, this is an operational problem, right? So this is something that. We will face. And that's why I want to go back to what you're saying. I can't see any other solution than stepping back to the basics. And let me, before I tell you, let me ask you because since you are on the ground, you work with, with engineers and techie and all of that. Do you have a job opening for an ethicist or someone who specializes in ethics? Have you ever hired someone to talk about how to understand the science of ethics and how might we teach AI to understand, to to logically derive, you know, ethics from facts and from the requirements? But they are clueless. (laughs) Huh?
2: They are clueless.
0: Well, (laughs) we are clueless. (laughs) We are clueless, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm just asking on the ground how it goes.
1: So in previous careers that I've had, when well, we were working with machines, specifically on human AI, we did hire actually people with subject matter experts that, for instance, for a specific task, like to study human sleep patterns and behaviors. We hired, for example, neurologists and scientists and et cetera. We did hire also lawyers to look at, you know, the, the actual, you know, implications we did have good, basically good behavior, understanding of what the machine should do, but we never until today, hired an ethics professor or person to look at that. Because it's also a challenge. Do I hire one? Do I hire 10? Are the 10 going to debate who over who actually overrules who and how does it work and based on what. I think it's fair to say that the good and the evil will always challenge each other. It is good to be optimistic than pessimistic in general. It is okay to be skeptical because skepticism actually makes you work hard, makes you work towards a goal to make things better, sometimes at least ideally for me. But ultimately, if you do have go back to code plus human with good ethics, supposedly, you know, we can only assume that, you will have a human AI. So for example, the autonomous driving example, the system is actually made to disengage at that moment. You as a human being take control. Cause for example, maybe Jamil would prefer to save the family and sacrifice themselves and have this fifty-fifty fifty-fifty percent chance of survival by hitting the pole or the side, you know, of the car. Others will say, No, I'm not damaging myself and my car. I'll just pay the fine and run over somebody and hopefully they'll survive and slow down. It's different humans with different behavior. But this is why the machine can do today so much and then it disengages and goes back to the human taking charge again and you decide what happens for with your own destiny.
0: I, I like that approach because I, correct me if I'm wrong, your approach is put the human first and then use the technology as an enabler to make things better. But whenever there's a problem, try to Go back and inject human inter- intervention. Yes, which is which is again complicated. Like as much as severe is the the case for the self driving car, think about trading, and just a machine going and trading by itself, and <laughs> like it's it's so big. And I know we don't have all the time to talk about it, but but I'm I'm happy we are because you are on the ground. You know what's happening. And we're just trying to f- philosophize from here,
1: so <laughs> exactly and and let's actually bring the so a perfect example would be actually the you know medical doctor. they have all these machines to analyze the symptoms, but at the end and and makes all these suggestions so it can probably read faster than the doctors decide faster than the doctors, but then the day, it is the doctor the human with the expertise that will look and say okay, maybe possibly these symptoms with this really medication, possibly these symptoms with this medication. Let me ask a consult of other doctors and see what would be the best approach for this human. The machine can suggest we can use it as an enabler, but ultimately the doctor will have to make a decision. So the doctor has the chance to be actually the medical care provider personnel That will take care of another human, because humans want to deal with humans. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. You want to say something, Ricardo? That because I want to bring, yeah. Go on, go on. I want to bring something that I resonate a lot with, and you mentioned it uh, offline. And honestly, I'm worried about. I'm thinking about it a lot, so I want to hear your perspective. So you said that. Somehow you're worried about kids and the future of kids and the whole usage of technology. And it's a big worry. It's a big worry. And every day I'm seeing news about hackers, you know, hacking kids' apps and in, I don't know what, injecting location tracking and things like that to kidnap kids. So there's so many things happening. How do we protect ourselves? How could we act as parents, as humans, even as engineers and developers developers towards our children
1: i think for parents we just have to be more technologically aware and be careful to be friends with our kids or you know make them more aware of the circumstances as a government we should put rules and regulations on the intensity or level of cryptography and security and how we can actually protect these machines from being hacked and really lay out ground rules. This is from authorities' perspective and from parents, but ultimately, you know, this will probably save 20, sorry, 70% of the population. 30 will probably be falling through the cracks, and I know that's a big number, but that's sadly the truth of the profession of various technology that we are going through and improving as we speak. Yeah.
0: Okay, I still have a question on something we talked about uh, offline. So, and you mentioned that in your uh, TEDx talk, which I invite everyone to to watch and I'm gonna put it in our show notes. It was a really good talk, but you said something about that, okay, the future of AI is coming, There's a lot of jobs that we're going to lose, but we're going to win a lot. But the secret is about upskilling. So in your opinion, which are the most important skills that we need for the future other than engineering and development? I'm thinking about people who are not tech savvy and don't like to be there. What would be, in your opinion, the most important skills?
1: that we the future. I believe the recession proof and technology proof skill is being likable, mm. being, being able to work with people. If That's you good. look at it, <laughs> uh, never thought about at, that. <laughs> look at, you look at the jobs of the past in the 2008 crisis in the COVID situation, The ultimate thing is you should be able to pick the phone and call a few people that will vouch for you, will be able to help you through, you know, a a tough time. Otherwise, if you are going through the system, it will be much harder. So upskill yourself if you are an introvert or an extrovert by being known to be a hard worker, by being known to be ethical, by being known to be friendly and flexible and resilient. You don't have to be the joker of the house. You don't have to be the most flamboyant or you know famous person in the room. But you have to have good candor. People have to be able to look you in the eye and say, I believe this is a good person I can work with. If you can actually work on your EQ as much as your IQ, I think you'll be able to go a long way that's my two cents i mean oh maybe the likes do help to a limit <laughs> but uh, but actually with the humans not yeah. you know on on a website somewhere it does yeah. help
0: <laughs> yeah yeah no you know what i i never thought about that even though when i'm you know i'm helping people so i don't know if you know that but i'm i'm a speaking coach i help people with their presentation and pitching and stuff and I always tell them you you have to be likable. That's the first thing. But I never thought about it as a skill, the way you put it. And I think that's a fantastic thing because, yeah, maybe there's a there's a way that you can, or, yeah, there's a way that you can become likable without being what's the word like dependent or you know like yeah. I'm trying to say the word and, I, and I, yeah like there's a way to be likable without following people around and, and asking for favors and stuff like that. Like and
2: and an adulator.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm not talking about I'm not talking about a kiss something that's yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not talking about honestly like schmoozing and absolutely not. I'm talking about being genuine. So for instance there's something in college that we have done is we brought actually a whole bunch of engineers brought a communications coach. And we have noticed that most of the engineers, they have a poker face. Yes. They're focused. They're serious. They, they don't smile as much. They're passionate about the, what they do. But they're also monotone. And sometimes, actually, they speak in a very low voice, which makes you harder to understand them, which makes you less, less interested in them. That's why right now in companies they hire a translator, a middle person between somebody that's technical but business savvy. Sometimes they call them a sales engineer. Sometimes they call them project managers or whatever. There are many you know titles for for the middle person. This person's job is to translate technical to non technical, but it's also more a human a better communicator with humans. And one of the things that we have noticed with the coaches is look at the facial expressions. How we can allow a certain engineer that is you know, super smart at their job, actually show their passion out. So we started actually to put them on stage and give them professional coaching, professional advice. And you know, we taped them on the camera, we tell them, look, you're smart. You're smiling over here too much. It doesn't show genuinity Over here, you're smiling less. You're too serious here. You lost me here with your voice. Let's focus. Let's focus on clear things. And I would love to honestly have this as a profession. We should actually have a course. I'm not sure if there is, but on my college days, maybe I didn't pay attention to it. Is for us to honestly put the executives in a true or everyone in a true course that actually offers people this coaching, looking at their facial expressions, being likable, being genuine, but ultimately having a good candor. I don't want people to choose. That's, that's a waste of time. They will always exist, but honestly, they will not show that, you know, th- this environment will be good for everyone. It will not. It will set a bad example, I would say. I want actually people to be likable because they're good, they're smart, they're helpful, they're funny, they're, even if they're not funny, they're genuine, ultimately, good candor. So likability, I would say, is a session proof and is a technology proof.
0: I, I agree with that. And you, you reminded me of, before we end this, this session, you reminded me of a quote, I'm paraphrasing that, by Einstein, he said something like, when technology surpasses our human connection, we will have a generation of idiots. Something like that. And I love that because that boils down what you were talking about. What we need more is human connection and learning the art of connecting with people, whether it's through communications, through conversations, through empathy, through being likable. And I think... If we have that, if we learn that, we can build better machines and we can help people deal better with the machines. Absolutely,
1: agree. Couldn't yeah. have said it better.
0: <laughs> okay, Jamil, that was, that was awesome. I mean, definitely we should invite you again for something in, in depth, more about technology and AI, but that was, that was so fun.
1: Would love to. Thank you so much for your time. And I'm delighted to have this conversation with you. Thank you, Jamil. Thank you. Okay, thank you you all for listening
0: to Ideas on Trial. Don't forget to send us your questions. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter and just share your feedback. And don't forget also to watch TEDx Talk. We'll put it in our show notes. And see you soon.
1: Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye.